Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. So, hey guys, I don't know, I don't know about you, but when I came downstairs today, it was, I, you know, I, I live pretty deep in the woods and something happened overnight and um, it was like all the leaves came down because suddenly the backyard is, a, I can see a lot more daylight. So this is when I know that real winter and fall is setting in and coming out and seeing everything covered in leaves means we are now moving into a new phase of our quarantine, which means summer's over, time to go back in our hidey holes. It was mar- markedly colder today too, this morning. And it, and it seemed like throughout the day, and we're recording on Thursday, it, it seemed like throughout the day today, it just got colder and colder and darker and darker. It feels very Ethan from out there, you know, like I feel like I got to bring the firewood in and snuggle under the blankets. And I put a sweater on. I never wear a sweater. I put a sweater on today. It was cold. But the combination of rain and wind last night, which is what brought all your leaves down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my lawn was covered with leaves. I mowed everything yesterday. I put the mower away two minutes before it started raining. And then this afternoon, my yard was covered in leaves again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to wait to do that. I'm going to try and do it once. I know that's never going to work. But I think now the leaves aren't as bad. We had some trees that fell and some trees that came down. So we have a little less leaves to deal with this year. I'm I'm just leaving them. I mean, just the ones in the backyard anyway. It just it gives the dogs a place to go to the bathroom, and you know that's fine with me. Just we wait until December first, and then we have somebody come blow them away. Usually, it's not till after Thanksgiving because we just have so many. It's just not. If we did it now, we would have to do it again. Just not happening. Well, it's better to leave them till the spring because leaf litter is where most of the insects overwinter and you want them to come back next spring so they could pollinate and so they could feed the birds. Thank you, Brendan, because now I'm just never going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) This is the first fall I planted grass where grass actually came up where I wanted it. So I'm I'm excited about that. Usually just comes up over the cesspool. (laughs) Yeah. This is the first time I planted uh, fairly sizable batches of grass and actually had it work. So I'm, very excited. Well, let's introduce ourselves. We know who's talking about grass. <laughs> I'm not sure how to take that. <laughs> so, hey, Bill Sutton, how are you? Good, Annette Hinkle. How are you? I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And hi, Brendan. Brendan O'Reilly's here, too. Hi, I'm Brendan O'Reilly. I am the features editor. And we've got Joe Shaw, Plant and Grass. Hey, Joe. I'm the grass guy, apparently. <laughs> Joe Shaw, executive editor. And my name's Annette Hinkle, and I am the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group. So it seems like with the fall, all of us are kind of in a, a sort of down, bragging kind of mode today. I could just tell you all that right now. Maybe it's the weather change. Maybe it's because we feel like we're heading into another session of quarantine because things, the numbers are going up of COVID everywhere around New York area. So this week, it just seems like a good time to kind of talk about as we're moving into a new season about the villages um, on the East End. And we've had a few express sessions 
in, the, in recent weeks where we've gotten together people from various villages to talk a little bit about sort of their vision of what the east end of Long Island could be. And the most recent session was held last week um, with the members of the Southampton Town uh, Village Board. And some of the things that came up, it was just sort of interesting. And Joe, I wondered if, if, since you ran that session, if you could talk a little bit about some of the issues that came up. And then I thought maybe we could compare and contrast the issues of Southampton Village with what we're seeing in some of the other villages and if they're similar or very different, depending on which locale you're talking about as far as charting their futures. It's an interesting topic and timely because our next session next week is actually gonna be about Sag Harbor Village and the, the waterfront uh, study that's going on and some of the changes that are coming to Sag Harbor Village as well. So uh, yeah, we just finished two sessions uh, that were sort of linked. We called it a tale of two villages. The first one was uh, focused on East Hampton Village and two weeks later we focused on South Hampton Village. And I, you know, the two villages have a lot of real similarities. Uh, the biggest one I think linking them is that both lack a sewer system and both are working their way towards rectifying that problem. So I want to get started as quickly as possible. Mayor Jesse Warren, uh, let me ask you, uh, the village has taken the first steps towards drafting a new comprehensive plan. Can you explain briefly why this is such an important step in setting the future of the village? There's a couple of key themes in this master plan uh, that are critical uh, for the, the future and the growth of Southampton Village. Uh, the first and the obvious one that has been discussed for over a decade now uh, is uh, wastewater treatment and, uh, and a sewer system, which I'm sure uh, we'll be discussing a lot more in detail in this press session. And I think fortunately over the last year, 18 months or so, uh, the conversation has now shifted as to whether it's no longer the conversation about is a sewer a good idea, it's maybe how we're going to finance that sewer. It isn't um, anywhere near being ready to break ground for it. And, and I think in both of those villages, uh, they look at that as really crucial to moving forward in a positive way because it will, it'll allow more wet uses, which is restaurants and bars and things like that, which bring people to the downtown uh, more frequently. But it'll also allow for an expansion of uh, more second floor apartments, things like that. So it'll help address the housing issues. Um, because the sewer is key, in my opinion, and many other people's opinion, not only to unlock, un unlocking the growth and the vibrancy of our downtown, but also for uh, environmental needs as well. So you've got groups of all, all types uh, basically promoting and, and uh, supporting a, uh, a sewer and updated wastewater treatment. Uh, the second theme that I hope to talk about is uh, the needs of, of housing, uh, both for millennials and Gen Z and seniors who want to age in place. Uh, all groups uh, that are some, somehow uh, uh, getting uh, squeezed out uh, uh, of, of our village and that are important. Um, I met uh, a while back with the mayor of Patchogue, uh, Paul Pontieri, and he says, if you don't have families, uh, you don't have a village. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. So as far as the, um, like Sack Harbor does have a a sewage treatment plant. That may, that's what makes Sag Harbor a little bit different and why Sag Harbor seems to have a very pretty vibrant restaurant, restaurant scene um, in comparison to say Southampton and East Hampton. Now, what, and I know West Hampton Beach has just revitalized a lot of their Main Street and they're sort of in between because they're in the process of looking to put a sewer system in. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, one of the things that's interesting about West Hampton Beach is they're not putting a, they're putting a sewer system in but not a treatment plant. Well, they got very lucky in that they're able to, to tie into 
the, the sewer processing plant at Gabreski Airport, which is a few miles north of the village, that there was, um, you know, a whole lot of extra capacity there. Um, and the county was was happy to work that out to to tie that in. Um, otherwise, it would have cost them a whole lot more money. Um, and you may see something very similar in, in Southampton Village, is you have the, um, the hospital has a sewer treatment plant, sewage treatment plant that the village may tie into. And, and that's, you know, I think they could tie into it now. And they said there's, a, you know, a lot of capacity there now as is. But then you figure, too, that the hospital is going to be moving and, and abandoning that plant. And, you know, whoever, you know, takes over that property or, or whatever is going to have that plant. But if, if the village can, you know, can get in with that now, they may have the same luck that West Hampton Beach is having of not having to build that plant. In East Hampton, it's a whole different story. They're going to have to figure out how to build a plant or bring in a, a third party to do that. And you nailed it, Annette, that uh, the villages point to Sag Harbor and they say that's what Sag Harbor has uh, that they don't have, which is the sewer system. And, and it makes a, an enormous difference and gives you options for uh, developing the, the downtown area in, in a way that, that the other villages just can't right now. They, they can aspire to do things, but until they address uh, this, the, the septic flow issues, the Suffolk County Department of Health just won't allow much to happen in those villages. And that's what gives you the, the vibrancy. And that's one thing that in both of the sessions that we've had and, and in talking to officials from West Hampton Beach that, that they want is that word keeps coming up. It's a, you know, it's a keyword, it's, it's vibrancy. And if you don't have those bars and restaurants that are open later at night and you see the main streets closed down at five o'clock, you know, there's no vibrancy. There's no reason for people to come in, even if shops were open a little later, you know, what's, what's the reason? But if you can get... <clears throat> excuse me, those bars and, and restaurants open open later. You have walkable communities. You have people walking up and down main streets. Um, you know, that's what you want. You want people coming in, going to the shops, going, you know, to a shop before you eat, going to a shop after you eat and, and you know, and all that. So it seems like um, based on the express session that Mayor Jesse Warren um, talked a lot about how, you know, how, how they manage the summer with a lot of the restaurants doing dining out on the streets. And it seems to me that Southampton was probably the most successful at making that work. I mean, they, they have sort of a nice setup there and that unlike East Hampton Village, which is right on Route 27, it's kind of hard to block the street off in East Hampton because it's a major thoroughfare to points East and West. But Southampton is, is one of the few villages, like kind of like Sac Harbor and West Hampton Beach, that lies off of the main highway, which gives them a little bit more opportunity to um, take over some of that streetscape. So I wondered, um, could could you talk a little bit about about what Jesse talked about in the session as far as the um, the use of the the side the streets and the sidewalks there and how that worked out this summer? Yeah, I mean the mayor said made the point exactly that that you made that Southampton Village has the benefit of not having the highway running right through the middle of it, which is true for uh, East Hampton and Bridgehampton as a hamlet and uh, Watermill as a hamlet and even uh, Hampton Bays as a hamlet. Um, it's, it's easier for a village to not have to deal with all that through traffic. And so West Hampton Beach, uh, Southampton Village, Sag Harbor, they all sort of have that as a plus when, when they're looking at planning events and things like and that. And so I think in general, the concept of 
more pedestrian streets was very successful. Um, it was not only successful here, but it was successful in other villages like Greenport. Um, of course, there are going to be residents who have uh, concerns, whether those concerns are about parking or about uh, some businesses benefiting more than others. Um, but I think that what this proved was the concept was very strong. Uh, and uh, as some of our, our board pointed out, uh, the, the future of some of the vibrancy is in some of the, uh, the outdoors. Uh, and so it's something that not only I believe we should um, expand upon, but it's also time uh, to uh, improve it. There's a lot of tweaks and, and small improvements we can make. And if we have time uh, to, to improve it, we'll be able to uh, make it uh, uh, more, uh, more modern and uh, more um, specific to businesses. And the beauty of having a local government, and I'm a big, you know, uh, going, everything going on in our, in our country, you can really rely on your local government to listen to you and to kind of um, uh, respond to requests. I mean, you could pick up- Southampton in the streets. Uh, any member of this board um, or myself. And, and this might be a, a place to bring Brendan in that, that um, it was successful. Uh, but I'm not sure, I mean, it certainly drew the attention of the state and that wasn't something that they wanted to do. And I think the, one of the conversations at the, at the session was it wasn't as successful for other businesses beyond restaurants. They, they really didn't have the staffing to open, uh, to, to stay open and take advantage of uh, the people who were there. But uh, I, I don't know, the, the general consensus was Southampton and Streets was, was sort of a hit and sort of a miss in other ways. What do you think, Brendan? Well, it certainly brings people to the village, but when you bring people in at night, these retail stores that are already struggling due to the coronavirus, they can't really afford to pay an employee to stay open for another four hours. Those are real costs, and those are real costs that they can't really absorb right now. It's a cultural shift to go from a village where the retail stores close up by four, five, or six to go to a village where retail stores are open until seven or eight o'clock at night. And you're not going to see that cultural shift just because there's a few Saturdays when they block off traffic and the restaurants are pouring out onto the street. I also wonder too, if there's like a lot of, of, of lookers, you know, I don't know. I just, I just, that was all often a complaint I heard in Sac Harbor village is that you had, you know, tons of people on the street, but you know, the most that they would buy is an ice cream cone and they were just doing a lot of looking, you know, and I don't know if, if COVID is, has tamped down a lot of the, the, the merchant merchandising, you know, I don't know if people are in a mood to really go out and spend the, the kind of money that maybe they used to. I just feel like the whole COVID thing has driven everybody into sort of a hunker down mode. You know, it, that raises a question I, I have about this whole conversation is about the retailers in villages that I feel like you have that, you can break that into two, uh, two camps. And one is, uh, you have folks like Hildreth's and, and the uh, hardware store, and those are the places, and, and, and a lot of the specialty shops that are run by local people, and, and they're the ones that say, uh, shop locally rather than, you know, ordering off Amazon. I think those are places that the year-round community can support because they're selling goods that, that are really helpful year-round. Then you have the pop-up shops and chain stores and things that are, that are catering mainly to the visitors in the summertime, uh, and they have a different set of needs. I guess my question is, does a rising tide really float all boats, or did those two 
different types of retailers have different needs. So what are the two different types of retailers you're referring to? That you have the year round uh, places like, you know, places that are selling goods that people need on a regular basis. So it's, I, I guess, I don't know if you, I guess you would put delis with restaurants, that kind of thing, but the hardware store and Hildreth's and some of the specialty shops that, that have house goods and things like that. Those, those are places that are, they stay open year round and, and they need local shoppers to shop there year round. And then you have the people who really count on an influx of people who are doing more uh, optional kinds of shopping in the summertime. Well, and again, COVID comes into play too, because we, you know, a lot of those people that were just here in the summer are, still here and and maybe here through the winter and next year too and i, I think you know population changes it's going to be interesting to watch that and see what effect that has on on you know on those pop-ups and um, um art institutions and you know and galleries and all that that you know that that are finding a growing audience out here and maybe a, a more permanent audience out here I, and I may be off base here. Maybe I'm making a divide that doesn't really exist. I, you well, know. I, I think you're right because I mean, if you're talking about attracting people, but having you know um, Southampton in, in the streets or whatever, you, you're not talking about bringing people into shop at you know at at the hardware stores. You're hoping that that those will bring people to you know to the more localized shops. I think that may be part of what I'm trying to say, which is that issues like parking are going to are going to be more important for Hildreths and the hardware stores and places like that issues like events like Southampton in the streets are going to bring you a different kind of shopper for other kinds of stores that may not pay off for the hardware store as much maybe it will I don't know maybe they pick up some some uh, business as well well I thought it was interesting at the session the Southampton session anyway the, the village board members were talking Obviously, they were they were nervous about with the Southampton in the streets. They were nervous about bringing too many people in at once and asking them to mill around the village in the middle of a pandemic. And they were kind of, you know, encouraging. It was it was designed for the restaurants to bring people in, get something to eat, have something to eat, have an enjoyable meal that they hadn't had in months, and and then maybe kind of you know find their way out of the village after that and what they're talking about in the future and i think um you know jesse warren the mayor <clears throat> um made a great comparison he was talking about having specific events on specific weekends next year or in future years where they can block off the streets but it's an event maybe maybe focused around uh, a, a holiday or a certain theme or whatever and he said you know kind of a throwback to the county fair inspiration from the old county fair uh, uh, have, have tents, uh, tents outside um, expansion of music, arts, culture, uh, and ultimately, um, you'll, you will see uh, next week, uh, we already have an art installation, but our board worked together uh, to adopt a, an art law, and uh, there's a spot on Job's Lane, which was the old Chico's, and there is an art installation done by Southampton Art Center under the creative direction of Amy Kerwin, an uh, uh, artist in Alice, that basically we now have art in our stores as well. And so that's just one small step forward. And I think Mark Parrish kind of kind of played on that a little bit too and was talking about, you know, having different arts in the streets or movies in the streets or different events in, in the street, not just the dining. Um, where, you know, West Hampton Beach does that. They have in, in the fall, they have, you know, kind of a um, 
it's not a farmer's market, but they have weekend sales, sidewalk sales, that type of thing where they bring people in. And, you know, so, so I think, again, it goes back to COVID. Uh, once we get through the COVID and, and you can kind of encourage people that way to come in and stick around, maybe have a meal, maybe not, um, go to some different shops, have some activities in the street. And I know with Southampton in the streets, they, you know, a couple of the restaurants had tried that and there was, you know, there was a, you know, what was it, a mime or clowns or something, you know, in the street that, that drew negative attention because it was... From the governor. From, from the governor. And, and, and rightly so, because it's the middle of a pandemic. But I think that's what those people were, that were responsible for that were, were trying to do is create more of an event than just a bunch of tables in the middle of the street. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com When you look at Patchog and what's happened there over the years and you know, what you always hear in Southampton and East Hampton is that they don't want to become like Patchogue. They don't want to be that built up. They don't want to have parking meters. They don't want it to go nuts, but they do want some activity and they want more year-round activity. So you can compromise. There's a, a way to emulate what Patchogue has done without becoming what Patchogue is. But when things were very, very slow there, perhaps the only thing that brought a lot of people into that village when there wasn't a lot of attractions in the village was Alive After Five. Close down the street, have dining outdoors, have places where people might be able to step outside on the sidewalk and have drinks, and have bands. They had stages set up and you could walk down the street and hear two or three different bands. Uh, you know, my biggest problem with Alive After Five as a kid is that the cops would come and take away all the kids' Razor scooters for some reason. <laughs> but other than that, it was great. And if memory serves, it used to be on Friday night. And now when they do it, they do it on Thursday because they have no problem getting people into Patchogue Village on a Friday night. Now it's it's almost problematic for the businesses to have a live after five because those restaurants and bars are already so busy. Patchogue and increasingly you hear Greenport as examples of um, what some of the villages locally want to be like. And, and a lot of folks still point to Sag Harbor as well, although I find it kind of intriguing because Sag Harbor certainly is a success story, but there are limitations there as well. And, and I think Sag Harbor is starting to think about ways that it can freshen up uh, its approach to, to bringing people in. I think it's, I was in Greenport not too long ago because I wanted to, you know, we had to go up there for some reason and it was like a quiet, like Thursday night. And um, it was sort of nice how they had set everything up there. They had made the front street one way and had built all um, a whole, the whole block was built out with places where restaurants were able to serve. And it wasn't, there wasn't any, it was very quiet. There wasn't a lot going on, but it just sort of struck me that it felt um, it felt very easy. Whereas sometimes like going into the villages now, it doesn't feel like a, f a festive. Having the street blocked off like they had in Greenport, just even in the middle of a pandemic made it at least feel a little more welcoming. It comes back to 
to vision and the vision of, of the of the village leaders. You know, while Southampton was was doing Southampton in the streets early on in the pandemic, Greenport was one of the first villages. They were closing the roads off and, and doing approving outdoor dining where, where it hadn't been approved before. And they were immediately, you know, on on board with that. Because I think that's the the nature of of the village up there. That's the vision of the village government up there is that's a place, it's a destination where people come on Friday nights and Saturdays and Sundays to to hang out. And the same with Patchogue, as as Brendan was saying, it it became that. That became its identity. It became um, a place where people flocked from from all over um, you know, central Long Island and eastern Long Island to go hang out there for that festive atmosphere. And I think if if the the village, and I'm going to use the word vibrant again, if the villages of of, of Southampton and East Hampton and Sag Harbor want that vibrancy, then then they have to figure out what identity they want, and do they want to have a, a similar identity to Greenport and, and Patchogue. And I thought it was interesting too, then in the Southampton session last week, Joe had asked them, what villages do they want to emulate? And to a T, all of them said, we want to take parts of different villages that we, that we like, but we certainly want to have our own identity. The mayor was saying that the history of the village itself is one of the things they want to look to about what made the Southampton village successful in the past and, and what they can emulate in the I'm future. I'm really glad you asked that question because the irony and the blessing here is that we can actually look to Southampton Village for inspiration towards our future. If you walk into Village Hall, there's all these uh, pictures from a century ago. And it turns out that Southampton Village is exactly what we wanna be. We had hotels like Hotel Aguam. We have obviously the old Rogers uh, Memorial uh, Library, which Peter Marino is revitalizing. We have, uh, if you look on uh, Nugent Street, there was uh, much more activity there. And, and so ultimately, I think the best inspiration for the future is actually looking to the past. And so uh, there's no village that we'd wanna be more than our own village. Uh, and we should just tap into our history to find out some of the solutions for what we can do in the future. If you look you know, at East Camp, a lot of the complaints uh, with, uh, are that everything that that village used to be is what is now gone. The mom and pop shops that people used to enjoy and the stores that used to be around year round are the ones that are now gone. So it is interesting that it's by going back a hundred years or more or 50 years or more to what these villages used to be is really where they're going to find success. You know, just trying to figure out how to make it a year round experience where you have some people that want to go to the hardware store and some people that want to go to the jewelry boutique or whatever. And Kind of find that balance so it's not catering to one one type of customer over another maybe and that's what sag harbor is looking at in, in the future too right i mean they're looking at so so the waterfront the whaling history you know the waterfront history was was what that village was about and, and why it was formed and you know or formed around around those things and i think looking at how they're going to develop the waterfront again um bringing in that history is, is important to to the village's identity and, and will bring people to the village, hopefully. I think all this hints at a big question that's at the heart of all this. And I think it, it's a question that can also be asked in Hampton Bays and East Quag and Bridgehampton, places that are, that are not villages, but they're hamlets, but they have sort of a village downtown, a village feel. And that is what is the future for those business districts period? Because you know, there's just no, there's no ignoring the fact that 
our retail patterns have changed with the internet and with big box stores. And that is, we are fighting to maintain a presence in those local communities of businesses and, and trying to keep them healthy because I think we all agree it's an important part of a local community being healthy is to have those businesses, but they are facing an uphill battle just in a global sense. Those are, that's not the way people shop anymore. People shop online. And I think that shift is something we've got to at least be aware of and, and sure we can fight against it, but, but uh, at some point it may be a matter of just being realistic about what kinds of shops are going to succeed in a small town. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you have a lot, like a, a large population of, that lives in the villages or near the villages or near the hamlets that don't really feel that the stores represent them or their interests or their pocketbook. Think about Scavonis, which is beloved and a, a, a crucial part of Sag Harbor in every single way. But it's, it's, it's just got to be just such a challenge now to, to be Scavonis uh, in the current economic climate. And they have their loyal customers and they always will. And I think people in Sag Harbor Village are going to continue to shop at Scavonis because it's part of the village. And I think you can count on that to a degree. But that's a, a battle that I think every one of these businesses faces. And you need to, you, you had better have that connection um, in, in, you know, Herrick Hardware, People are going to shop at Herrick Hardware. It matters to them. Um, Hildreths. Those places are, are important. There are, there are certainly shops in, in every one of these little, little districts where that's true, but I think it becomes essential for them to survive now. Speaking to Southampton Village, going on more than 10 years ago, there had been a comprehensive study of the business district, and there were all these ideas of identifying other locations where they could add even more storefronts. One of the things that the planner had suggested to the village was you have a board here that is anti-office. People say we do not want real estate offices filling up Main Street. Everywhere you look, it's a real estate office. Okay. So is it real estate offices edging out retail? Well, you can't say it is because you have retail storefronts that are empty. So if you throw out all the offices, when you already have vacancies, you're not gaining anything by throwing out those offices. You're not bringing in more retail by throwing out offices. If retailers really wanted to be there, they would be there. There's vacancies. So going back to the septic and sewerage issue we mentioned earlier, uh, there is an idea from the county and a new law that allows compact small sewage treatment plants that a few businesses could hook up to and they reduce the setbacks. So you have already developed business districts that can't really fit a sewage treatment plant, but maybe they could fit one of these small appendix A systems, I think they're called. By reducing the setbacks, they've increased the opportunity to do this. Let's bring in restaurants. Let's bring in delis. Let's bring in the ice cream shops. People are always going to eat. They're not always going to walk into retail stores and buy things off shelves. Increasingly, people are shopping online. We're not going to get rid of retail in the village totally, but if 50% of your retail stores are vacant in September, maybe you should turn over that 50% of retail stores 
and turn it into wet uses. And it starts with sewers. And if they had done it 10 years ago, the village would be in a much better position now. And I think having apartments available over the storefronts is really vital too. Like that's definitely something that I think lends a very um, vibrant element to Sag Harbor. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of people live over those storefronts. These people have to come and go, even if they're not shopping, they do contribute to making the street feel like there's something going on. I think that's where Patchog got it right. They incorporated more housing into their plans so that there are more people who live downtown and that gives a downtown vibrancy in addition to the commercial stuff. I think they did. And I think Riverhead um, has done that and is too. And you see a very vibrant downtown now in Riverhead building anyway. I, I think the problem is though, is you're talking about four story, five story, six story housing buildings that while they may fit better in Patchogue and Riverhead, people in, in the small villages on the east end on the south shore may not want to see those large housing developments. So maybe it's just two stories. Maybe it's just above the storefronts or you don't have quite as many of them. I thought it was interesting too. Mark Parrish at our virtual session, we talked about, he had looked into, you know, Sip and Soda. He owns, he's a village board member and he owns Sip and Soda. Sip and Soda doesn't have a second floor. And I, I was surprised to find out that he actually looked into the possibility of adding a second floor where he could put apartments in. And it was just prohibitively expensive. And, and he made the point that even if he had put them in, they wouldn't have been affordable housing because he would have to recoup that expense. So these things are really complicated. Well, if it doesn't exist, yeah, I could see it being way too much money. But if you have the space up there already, I mean, I got to believe that a lot of those spaces were apartments at one point. But then, you know, I don't know, what is the zoning like? Are you not allowed to live on a second floor in Southampton Village if you're on a on Main Street or, or a Job's Lane there? They really appear to be pre-existing non-conforming, but so many of them have been turned into offices or some other use. And I think they can't turn them back into residences because they've been out of residential use for so long. In Sac Harbor Village, they did something about 11 years ago where they banned office uses on first floor. And now what they're running into is those offices started moving to second floors and third floors. Well, guess what's on the second floor and the third floor of buildings in Sag Harbor where they already have a sewage treatment plant? Apartments. Residences, right. apartments. And they're not affordable housing, but the point that a lot of board members on the regulatory boards and the village board over there were making are, they are more affordable apartments. So you're not going to get a $40,000 a year worker to be able to rent there, but maybe you will get an $80,000 a year teacher. Mm -hmm. Yeah, by their nature. I mean, if you're renting a one bedroom apartment, it may be expensive for a one bedroom apartment, but it's still a lot cheaper than trying to rent a three bedroom house if you're a single person. You know, they can at least accommodate couples or single people, you know, which is which is helpful because most of the housing stock out here is going to be a larger house where if you are just a couple or a single person, you know, it doesn't make any sense to try to rent something that large unless you get a bunch of roommates. But, you know, I was curious, Joe, if you wanted to, I know you had um, Tom Dunn from the Southampton Arts Center on. Um, and if you wanted, to, I thought that was sort of interesting. Some of the points that he made about um, really sort of merging the, the business interest with the cultural and art scene as well. And, 
what were what what did you take from that? And this is a, a a point that that really carries over to all of the different villages. I mean, look at Sag Harbor now with this new proposal for Bay Street Theater to sort of be an anchor for a redevelopment of, of the waterfront and that whole part of the village is, is gonna be significant. And you look at East Hampton with Guild Hall, it's a big part of what they do there. And, and in West Hampton Beach with the pack, pack is right in the middle of, of anything that's happening. So Southampton Village is in, a, in an interesting position where you know, it has this arts background to begin with. Uh, ironically, it was probably largely due to the Parish Art Museum being in the downtown area for for so long uh, then it moved out but but when it moved out uh, there have been places that have filled that void in the Southampton Arts Center that Tom Dunn runs as executive director uh, is is certainly it filled the space specifically but it also filled the space I think uh, thematically in a lot of ways it's doing a lot of things uh, actively bringing people to the village and in turn benefiting from more people coming to the village. Southampton African American Museum and the Shinnecock Museum. There is an arts district that is not happen. It's not, it's not a future proposition. It's happening right now, but it's only going to grow. I mean, you know, the, the creative economy, the experience economy is going to be a leading factor in the continued revitalization of, of, of our village and our, our extended region, right? I mean, people don't simply just want to shop, they want to come and have an experience. Uh, you know, we're fortunate to have three acres of beautiful grounds that we bring to life with programming now eight months a year, not just for the summer. Then you have the, the situation where you have the new auction house that's gone in uh, at the top of Main Street. Uh, you have uh, Peter Moreno, who's going to be opening the new museum on Job's Lane. Uh, there is a vibrancy that is being injected into the village via the arts community that, that the village really has to take advantage of. I don't. I think that that they need to strike while the iron is hot. This is happening now, and it's happening. It's unfolding in the next couple of years. But I think the village really needs to have a plan to take advantage of that. And and you know, it's just like some communities in New England get people visiting just because they're quaint and they they retain some historic uh, presence that brings people in. We have less of that here. I think Sag Harbor is a little bit of it. East Hampton has a little bit of it. Southampton is a little bit, but not enough, I think, on their own to bring people in. So you have to have a reason for people to come in. And I think being an arts mecca gives people that reason to come in. And that's that's half the battle. It really is. A ton of um, new new galleries from New York City have moved into East Hampton. And I've, I've stopped by a couple of them, like Pace, um, and I went by a couple others. But they're really interesting because they, um, they, they sort of tread that line. And, you know, and there's nothing in there that I could possibly afford, but they're set up so interestingly and they have such interesting artworks, you know, like very famous like Basquiat or Warhols or things like that. And that's kind of a, a cool melding of, um, you know, even if you're not in the market to be able to buy a very expensive piece of contemporary art, when you walk into these places, the way that they have them set up, it really does feel like you're in a mini museum, um, which is kind of a kind of a cool new melding of uh, retail and culture. East Hampton also has a little bit of a, of a, uh, an atmosphere, the historic atmosphere that I think Southampton Village lacks, although Southampton Village has 
the terrific historical museum and, and its properties that, that really retain that just off of Main Street. It's, it's, it's really close by too, which is great. But Main Street and Job's Lane together and also you know the rest of the business district that sort of follows around them uh, have evolved over the years. They, they really don't feel like a throwback village anymore. So you can't really fall back on that. But I think that's what one of the things that they were talking about by looking back at the history of the village and as, as they develop a comp plan, as the village board develops a comp plan, a comprehensive plan update, which they're doing now to look back at that history. And, and was it, um, was, was it the, the mayor who said, as you walk into village hall, there's all these, these photos on the walls of, of what Southampton village was like year, years and years and years ago. And to try to bring that atmosphere back to the village, I think would be interesting if, if they could do some of that. I think that's important. That's kind of the point I was trying to make earlier with, with Sag Harbor and the maritime history up there and, and for Southampton village to find its history and kind of develop um, its identity that way. I think it's also interesting that you have kind of like the pandemic because we've always we've talked a lot about silver linings, but that the pandemic is sort of maybe pushing this effort in a way that would not have happened had there not been COVID, like the whole idea of allowing people to do dining on the street in a European cafe style. Think about it. Outdoor dining a year ago in the villages would have been unheard of. You, could, you would have never been able to convince the villages to allow a big expansion of that. There, there would have just been no stomach for that whatsoever. It would have been very ambitious. Now, out of necessity, we had a summer of it. And I think every single village that's done it said, yeah, we're going to definitely, uh, it, it shook loose something that, that, that now people are not as intimidated by the notion of a lot more outdoor dining in the villages. It's, it's a great thing. And it does provide almost a European feel to the villages that, that is, that's intensely beneficial. I think Southampton Village and East Hampton Village are both making plans now to, to make a big, make some big changes. Um, I think Southampton Village isn't as walkable as it should be. I think that's something the mayor and the board members acknowledged at our session. Some of this is about stop planning and start actually accomplishing some things. I, I think it's a, you know, it's weird to say in the middle of a pandemic, but it's an exciting time for these villages. They're, they are, you know, Sag Harbor, this, this new project centering on the Bay Street theater development is exciting. It's the kind of thing that happens once in a generation if you're lucky in a village. So there's a lot to look forward to, I think, in these villages. It's getting colder out today. So, you know, how much longer can the outdoor dining last? And, you know, what's the next step for that? When are they going to or any of them, how long do they think they can do this? Do they, those little heaters work well enough to let them continue to serve outside for another few weeks or a month? Just everybody gets an igloo. The other question is, you know, usually January, February here is very much a shutdown mode. A lot of a lot of restaurants don't even bother opening them. But at the the curious thing that I'm waiting to see is whether or not there's enough population out here to allow those restaurants to continue to stay open at all. They might find that they're able to do a little bit more business in January and February than would typically be done um, pre-pandemic. Honestly, I can't imagine restaurants staying open much longer. I think within two weeks, we're probably going back down into shutdown mode. And that's gonna mean a pivot to delivery, which 
those of us who order delivery are more comfortable with it and the restaurants, they learned how to do delivery in the spring. So hopefully the transition to that model goes much smoother this time. If there is a, if there is a backslide and, and there's a little more of a shutdown, uh, they may be able to revert to going back to just, as Brendan said, the, the delivery and pickup only. So it might be a little bit of a lifeline. So this was fun. Interesting times. Boy, isn't that true? Yeah, it feels like this is a time to hunker down. Get lots of uh, canned goods and stay inside. I think we're all ready for a little less interesting times. I want to be bored. That's it. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.